849 or email us at letstalktorah at gmail.com. No apostrophes in the email address. Or you can join our Facebook page at Let's Talk Torah, and there you could have an apostrophe as we discovered today. Lots of great stuff this week, special guest. You know, schools have started. Yes, yes, yeah, it kids is. are in school. School is amazing. I have a large class, and they're just thirsting for knowledge. They open up their heads, you just pour this stuff in. It's unbelievable. And they're happy to be there. That's good. That's Except good to tell you a funny story. Okay. Uh, my first grader comes home. Last year he was in kindergarten. Right. So kindergarten, you have toys and stuff in the classroom. So he comes home after the first day of school, and we ask how school was, and he says school was very good, but something wasn't so good. What wasn't so good? He says, there were no toys in the classroom. <laughs> no toys. I said, well, yeah, now it's first grade. That was kindergarten. You know, things change. Okay. This week's topics, one will be about children. It's called The Wayward Son. We're going to spend a lot of time about A Wayward Son. We're going to talk uh, some good stuff about raising kids with a special, special guest who's going to call in in about 14 minutes. A, an expert, a maven in children, but really adults, children, all ages. Her family can't get enough for trying to call and get uh, help when it comes to their children, and we're going to try to get some help today from her. Known, by the way, in the Detroit area is the famous Morabasi. We'll talk about that word Mora later. We're going to talk about returning lost objects. You ever heard that phrase, Ben? Finders, keepers, losers, weepers? Not a fan of it, but yes. Not a fan. Great. We're going to talk about that later today. We're going to try to talk about fences, safety in houses, and all kinds of good stuff. Um, before school starts, we have teachers' meetings. So uh, they, the speaker was quoting a very interesting doctor. His name was Dr. Hayim Gino. I think that's how you pronounce his name. G-I-N-O-T-T -T, has famous books. So I, I wrote down a great quote for parents. So he said, I put it on my Facebook in case you noticed it. He says, what is the goal of parenting? It's to help a child grow up to be a decent human being, a mensch, a person with compassion, commitment and caring and that you know that just encapsulates what parents our goal is not to make sure the kid gets into law school and medical school and harvard or this college or somebody told me their son just got into some big uh, writing school that's i mean it's nice i mean don't get me wrong i mean that's all good stuff but our our goal with our children is to create good citizens yes that's all and we're proud of them that's all we want so last week's Torah portion talks about this child known as the wayward son. Okay. In Hebrew, he's called the Ben Sorer Umora, a wayward son. There's a child who, interesting enough, if he commits the crimes that I'm about to discuss, actually incurs a death penalty. It'll uh. be the only example of a child, really, that could get this penalty. Now, wait till you hear what he did wrong. Okay, okay. He's a glutton. Eats raw uh -huh. meat, drinks gallons of wine, steals money from his parents. Okay, not so good. No. The parents bring him to the court. The court warns him. They may have to give him lashes. He goes home. He continues to steal from his parents, eat this raw meat, just drink and drink and drink wine. Um, the parents are supposed to bring him back to court. It's a wild story here. Parents bring him back to court, and the court will actually execute him. Not only will they execute him, they execute him with what's considered the severest 
of all the death penalties. But don't be nervous, Ben. Yeah. You look nervous. Ah, yeah. Don't be nervous. It, seemed, it just seems harsh. That's seems all. harsh. That's all. Which is what we're yeah. going to talk about. Now, interesting enough, it never happened. Well, that's good. In history, it never happened. Okay. Not only it never happened, from the Talmud, it seems that it, it could never happen. There's too many nuances. For example, all this has to take place from when the child is 13 okay. to 13 and three months. So it's a three-month window. All right. And the Talmud says the parents' voices have to be similar. And the hard part, the parents have to actually be willing to drag the child to court. Okay. Now, we've all heard stories. You know, every gangster out there, when they speak to the gangster's mother, right. and she talks about her wonderful son. Yes. So my son would never do those things. He's so kind. He's so nice. He's so pleasant. He sits down and has dinner with me every yes. Sunday night. You must have the wrong person. So of to course. imagine, yeah, to imagine <laughs> that a mother is going to bring your son in it is so just out of the ordinary that the Talmud says it never happened. Okay. So if it never happened, we really have two important questions. Number one, um, if it could happen. Right. right. Why would there be a death penalty for something that seems, I don't want to call it trivial. Mm-hmm. It's not trivial that this child is stealing and he's eating and he's gluttonous and he's been warned. That's fine. But again, this is not something we put on the top of the list of a child that we're worried about doing something majorly catastrophic. Right. So first of all, why is this the punishment? It seems a little bit the punishment doesn't fit the crime. No, it seems extreme. Yes, very extreme. We're going to talk about that. Okay. It's very important. That's question number one. A more interesting question is, if the Talmud tells us it can't happen, then what exactly is the point of this commandment in the first place? And as the Torah wrote this commandment, the rules and regulations, the Talmud, which is the oral law of the Torah, is telling us that this is not happening. It's just not going to happen because there's a few other nuances that are involved. It's not happening. So if it's not happening, I mean, it's a nice story and everything, but why am I getting bothered? Why is the Torah teaching me a story that seems to have no value at all? Right. That, I feel, is something quite important. So the famous Rabbeinu Bachya, we've mentioned his name before. He lived in the 1300s. He says two reasons. Reason number one is attitude to teach us an attitude of our relationship Mm -hmm. to God. That our relationship to God has to be Mm -hmm. that I love my kids, I love my family, but I love God first. God is number one on the list, and I will do anything that God asks me to do because of my love for him. The most famous example of that, of course, is the binding of Isaac. Where God goes to Abraham, even though God did not intend for Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, but he tells Abraham, take your son, your only son, your beloved son, take him and bring him up as a sacrifice. And Abraham goes through the whole process. He travels, takes a few days, and he has the wood, and he has the knife, and his son doesn't know what's going on at first. Once Isaac finds out, he's, he's along for the ride. And at the last minute, God says, it's not what I meant. I didn't want you to kill him. I just wanted you to put him on the altar and I'd actually kill him. But that's that amazing love that Abraham had for God to say that whatever God wants, I'm doing. So again, even though this wayward son is not happening, it's not going to happen. 
But at the same time, my attitude is that my love for God is that if I would have a child that God says you got to bring him to court, God wants me to be on that level. I'm not sure. I might be like the gangster's mother, personally. But, uh, okay. That's one answer he gives. A second answer that this Rebbeinu Bachi gives is to tell parents, which is really, this is a, a perfect lead-in as schools start. It's interesting, in New York, schools never started before, um, before Labor Day. Right. So everybody in New York, New Jersey, they're starting school Tuesday. Mm. Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, in, in the Detroit area, they already start late August, and I believe there's other states that start even earlier in August. Oh, yeah. Well, there's a few that actually go all year round. Oh, right, right, really? Yeah. I thought they started after Labor Day now. They're starting after Labor Mine Day Mine did. Now. Mine started a Even week after Labor Day. Even in Southfield? You see the well, signs up I when they start. I know that they start, it, it's starting to change. I remember when I was growing up that it started at the end of August, but now they've moved it to after Labor Day. At least that's how it, recently, more recently. I actually started Thursday. We sort of uh, split it. The boys start Thursday, so we get them acclimated. Um, and then the next two waves, the preschool and the girls are going to start um, Tuesday, Wednesday. Right. Again, after that Labor Day. But um, so now that we are getting ready to start school, right. now is really the time to talk about parenting. It's that perfect Torah portion to talk about parenting, about this wayward son, because the Torah is telling us that we have a responsibility. Right. And the responsibility is that quote that I started from that uh, Dr. Haim Gino. I'll read it again. It's just such a great quote. I would almost like to learn it by heart, but uh, I'll just keep reading it. But he says, what's the goal of parenting? Again, it's to help a child grow up to be a decent human being. Nothing out of the ordinary, doesn't have to be special, just to be a decent human being. You can have learning disabilities and be a decent human being. Right. You don't have to be a track star, an athlete. You could be a decent human being just by being raised in a healthy and happy home with concerned, caring parents. Okay, I know I didn't read the whole quote. That's really unfortunate. Here we go. Let's try it again. It's to help a child grow up to be a decent human being, a mensch. That's a nice Jewish word, which I is... I love that word, too. Yeah, but that's in Webster's Dictionary. That's uh, an American word. Yeah, it is, yeah. A person with compassion. Right. Right? We want the child. Yes. We want our kids to care. We want you to be nice to be compassionate, commitment, that whatever you're doing, whatever you want to do, you're committed, and we want the child to be caring. These are all important things. And even when I speak to parents and we talk, everything in the classroom, the education is, is obviously, we're in a classroom to educate. But I can tell you from my own experiences, most of the time I talk to parents, their greatest concern is, what kind of child is he? Does right. he behave? You know, at home he fights he, with brothers and sisters. How is he in school? And we'll talk about how he's in school and how he plays and his social skills and all the different uh, parts of his social life, or her life for that matter, that in a school we take care of. But that becomes really more important. A, uh, a teacher who's long since retired, she saw me in the hallway talking to a child one time, and she says, you know, Rabbi Jacobson, just remember... In school, we have them for 18 years, till they're 18, they want to go into college, but they have a whole life ahead of them. Let's not destroy these children when our goal is to set them up for life. They will not all be 
and academia. They will not all be brilliant, but they can all be good people. And so therefore, one of the things we need to do is we need to help children with tools. We need to give the children, and the parents, by the way, we need to give the parents and children the tools they need to, uh, to go ahead and, and be in a classroom, even if they have some difficulties. I'm uh, busy experimenting. I saw this cool thing. I think they call it a, a calming jar. Basically, it's a jar filled with, I, I thought, water and a bunch of um, uh, the sprinkly stuff, the confetti stuff, the, uh, I forget what you call those yeah, things. Like glitter? Glitter, glitter that's yeah. it, glitter. And you shake it up, and as it floats down, so the children watch it, and they relax. It's supposed to be fantastic. I'm on my third one. I can see that. Not because I broke them. <laughs> but, I, you know, I, I saw the demonstration. I pour water in, pour the glitter in, shake it up, and the, it's the glitter is floating on top. On the It didn't work. Yeah, it is. So it I happens. go online. Yeah. So online they say, no, you have to know how to make it. Right. You need to put in, okay, don't learn how to make it from this show. Go online. They're very, very intelligent, but still not perfect. You have to put in like a, a glitter glue or a clear glue and hot water and stir it and put it in. So I did that. Right. But of course, I didn't know what size jar. So I was using a small jar. They were using a big one. Right. So I shook it up two full. Great. Go buy the next jar. Now, mind you, they said to glue the jar on top so right. the kids don't open it. Well, I couldn't open it either. So I had to can open it, can opener it, open. Got my next jar. I wasn't careful with the next jar. The next jar wasn't um, seal-proof. Oh, so I, I shook it up real good. Bad idea. So hopefully later I'm going to go buy another jar. I'll get the right size. I'll get the right amount. Bring it into class and see how long it manages not to break. I'll have to. That may be a trick, but we're working on it. I think I'm going to look into doing this uh, myself. Yeah, this is supposed to work for everybody. Yeah, Even the making, it was actually fun. You're squeezing the glue and the right. glitter and you shake it and the hot water. All of it was pretty cool. No, I've been glitter bombed before. What? I've been glitter bombed. Glitter bombed? Yeah, this is... Someone throws a handful of glitter in your face. It's You know, I, that I don't <laughs> think is going to help for calming. <laughs> we're, we're looking to calm people, and I don't see exactly no, 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 no. how that's going to calm people. <laughs> so another thing he was discussing was... Um, Again, just different tools how to deal with children. One of his ideas, actually, was uh, distraction. Okay. Not distraction when you're talking to somebody and you get on your phone so you're distracted. That's not the idea. Well, we're communicating. Well, yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> but you get, the, you get the picture. No, I get the idea. You should always talk to somebody versus... Oh, that, yeah. Yeah. Well, I know, yeah. That for sure I meant. But yeah. I meant when we deal with children, mm -hmm. the goal in dealing with children is sometimes the child is just out of sorts. He's so upset. He doesn't know how to deal with anything. He doesn't know what's going on. He's, they call it flooding, the adrenaline. Everything is flooding all over the place. He doesn't know what to do with himself. So, um, so the best thing is to actually distract the child. I spoke to a parent one time. I haven't had this child yet. Is that about you getting a message over there? Oh, I'm just listening to you. Oh, cool. Enjoying the story. So the parent tells me, he says, you know, when my son loses it and gets all excited and hyperactive and he can't deal in class, I told the shadow that when you take him out of the room, don't ask him why he misbehaved. He no. can't talk to you. No. Talk to him at the baseball game. Right. So the shadow didn't believe him. The shadow did not believe him. So for weeks, the kid would be taken out of, out of class 
and no one could deal with him. So the parents said, I'm begging you, just try it. You'll right. see what happens. Sure enough, the child's losing it, brings him out of class, sits him in a room, and the guy says, uh, so uh, you know the score of last night's baseball game? And the kid says, yeah, I don't know, three to two, who lost one. And that was it. Yeah. All of a sudden. Hey, uh, we were expecting your call, so oh. I'm going to. Oh, okay. Here's somebody <laughs> in the background over there. Yeah. I, Anyways, I, no, that was, uh, sorry about that feedback right. coming in there. In any case, um, it worked like a charm. All right. We're good? We, yes, we do have a caller. So I wanted to tell you, I told you having a special guest. This special guest I would call world famous. People know her from all over, certainly in the Detroit area. Her name is Morabasi. She's been dealing with children for more years than I can count, and she is an expert, and certainly an expert in some of the things that we are about to talk about. So instead of hearing it from me, um, I figure that we'll hear it from this famous special Morabasi who I know quite well. Uh, Marabasa, are you there? We, I am here. You are here. How are you today? Wonderful. Oh, I'm so glad you're able to call in. Uh, Me too. Uh, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about raising children, something that I believe you're an expert at. Uh, I try. You try. Take no credit. But we'll have the list. You know, she has a, a, a resume longer than my arm of people that, uh, that call her and respect her and always ask for ideas. So we're discussing um, children, and we're discussing when children start to lose it and get excited or fight. We were talking about using distraction. So the first thing I wanted to ask you is, have you ever used distraction to calm a child down, and how would you do it? So I always use distraction, most of the time, as long as everyone is safe. Um, I think distraction is a very good thing. It helps children see what they're doing after they calm down. And everybody's just happy at the end. So everyone, you know, just works out. So if the goal is to keep a happy child, we'll worry about why they lost it and why they were fighting later. But let's keep everybody happy. That's what you're telling me. Right. Excellent. So, um... I know you, you deal with younger children. Let's imagine uh, you see two children in a sandbox and fighting over, I don't know, a shovel or something. And uh, they're carrying on. That You see they're getting ready to fight. What would you do? Did I lose you? What would you do? You know what? I couldn't hear you so clearly. Is there any way I could hear a little louder? I could talk louder. I'll talk, oh, what uh, was your question? Oh, so the question was, if you had two children in a sandbox and they were fighting over a shovel, it was the red shovel, and they both wanted the red shovel, what would you do to stop the fight? Most of the time, I would just tell one of the children, depending on their personality, who I think would be more easily able to give in, um, why the yellow shovel is better. And uh, that usually would work. If someone is adamant that they wanted the red shovel, then, yeah, I would say, why don't you just come play with this toy or use this strainer or this spritzer better than doing the shovel? You know, I would, again, distract them with another thing in the sandbox, or it doesn't necessarily have to be the sandbox. It could be another toy. All right, so this one, I know we, um, I have a list over here. I'm going a little bit off uh, the tangent just as a thought. Did it ever bother you that um, 
you know, you're sort of lying when you're telling the kid that the yellow shovel is better than the red one when you know the red one has that fancy handle and the yellow one is broken. No, like I said, as long as everybody is safe, I don't think this is a lie. To me, I like the yellow shovel better right this second. Maybe tomorrow I like the red shovel, but right now I like the yellow shovel. As long as everybody is safe, I don't think it's a big deal to be so, quote-unquote, honest um, between these petty things that go on in early playing. Okay, good. I, I get it. Ben? Yes. Okay, that's what we're going to do for you now. We know now exactly. doesn't matter. We can tell you whatever works best just to keep you happy and healthy and safe. <laughs> okay, one of the children we have here. Um, you know, just a curious thought. Um, I know it works with little children. Does it work with older children, even maybe teenagers? Maybe not, you know, saying the yellow shovel is better than the red shovel, but can it work with older children? It actually could, not in the same way, but sometimes I'll tell my 12-year-old, even my 15-year-old, you know what, let me think about it. I hear what you want to do. Give me a few days. Let me think about it. They'll probably come back to me in a few months, and then I'll say, you know, I really was so busy. I didn't have time yet, but (laughs) probably, you know, I'm not sure yet. And depending what it is, how much I do or don't want them to do the thing, um, if they come back to me like a few more times, and I'll probably just give in to them. I'm much more of a softy than, oh, you know, it's my way or the highway. So, yeah, it really does work. Okay, that is amazing. I have uh, Ben sitting across from me, and he is laughing, laughing. I'm not sure if that means because he's so happy to hear it's these clever. ideas. It's clever. I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> it really works. <laughs> okay. Um, let me ask you like this. Um, have you ever been... It's a longer question. That have you ever been by a park? Ever by a park? You see people playing with their kids, and and something happens, and a mother gets frustrated, and or two kids are fighting, and they grab one child or grab the other child. Have you ever wanted to go over to that parent and tell them your ideas? If you would just distract your child, then everyone would be happy. All the time. So do you go over and All tell the them? Time. I don't. No, I usually don't go over to them. Uh, my way of thinking is very, very much not um, the way most parents raise their children. I have a lot of friends, and um, they really, you know, if the door is locked and I don't want you to come in, the door is locked and you're not going to come in. You could bang and scream for another 20, 20 minutes or whatever, but they're not going to open the door. And uh, I'm not like that. I, I will open the door. I'll see what the child wants, and I'll close the door afterwards, but... I won't go over to the parents in the park and tell them my philosophy because either they'll just, you know, say, mind your own business, or they'll just either, I don't know, they'll do it, but they'll think I'm crazy or whatever. I learned already, um, usually if somebody knows me and they want my advice, they'll pick up the phone and they'll call me, but I don't offer my advice anymore. Maybe when I was younger, I would say something to people. And I saw, like, they didn't even listen to me or they listened to me for one day. It, 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 a little bit, it's the nature of a person. It's not, I'm not only like this with raising my children. I'm like this in a, a lot of ways, how I run my house, how I run my school, my teaching. Most parents, most mothers, I would say, you know, they have their way of doing things. They'll take a tip from me, but usually it'll last a day or two and that's it. Uh-huh. So I should not give out your phone number here so people can start calling you. 
Okay. <laughs> I don't mind. You can give it out. If yeah. they want to call me, it's my pleasure. <laughs> Tell you what, if you need to contact Murabasi, why don't you send an email to Let's Talk Torah, no apostrophes, Let's Talk Torah at gmail.com, and we will get that message over to her. And certainly, if we get enough message over to her, one day we're going to get her in studio, and you'll be amazed. You'll be just amazed. I'm going to leave you. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Um, school is starting. And uh, we talked about it right before you uh, called in. Most uh, children are starting school uh, Tuesday. So I wanted to ask you really a double question. You'll give us answers, any answer, any order you want. But if you could give parents a piece of advice, even though you think most of them probably are not listening to you, but there's probably a couple out there, and certainly they'll hear it on the archives uh, forever. Um, firstly, could you give parents a piece of advice of what does a child need daily? If a parent could give something, and I don't really mean something like a toy, if a parent could give something to a child daily, what would it be? That's my first question. And my second question is also almost on a daily basis. And now the parents are sending their children off to school every morning. What's an idea that parents can do to send their children off that will help that child throughout the day? So a parent should give their children daily major love, hugs and kisses, and it does not have to be the regular bedtime kiss. Random. Your child is sitting eating breakfast. Your child is sitting eating dinner or whatever. Go over to him if you feel he needs it, which most children do, and give him a kiss. Give him a hug, give him a kiss, and just say, I love you. He'll probably... Be a little surprised if you're not the type of parent that does this on a, on a daily or even on a weekly basis. So look up and you'll be like, oh, my gosh, what happened? Is she feeling okay? But um, they'll get used to it very, very quickly. And it's, it's, I would say it's the most important thing that children need from parents, just their love and their acceptance of whatever they do. They're always going to be loved. And the other question that you had about what to send children off to school with, um, it goes in the same answer. I would say, again, a very relaxed morning. As much as, it, as you could get done the night before, prepare their clothes, prepare their snacks, make sure their homeworks are signed, and make sure they're happy with the snacks that you put in their briefcase. So five minutes before the bus is coming, they look in their, brief, in their briefcase, and they're like, oh, no, this is not what I wanted. And all of a sudden, everybody's, like, rushing to get the right snacks that they like. The night before, when you're doing this, not just say, this is what you want, right? So tomorrow morning, you're going to be happy, and you're going to like it in school. And, um, and it's very, very important that the children go off to school relaxed and happy, not yelling in the morning, get dressed, get dressed. If your kid can't get dressed, I don't care if he's 8, 9, 10, just dress him. It'll take you three seconds. Okay, Bas, I have to tell you that I'm looking around the studio. There's four other people in here. They are listening with bated breath. I don't, I mean, three of them don't have kids. Uh, Leonard, do you have any kids? Oh, can you hear, can he hear me? He has one kid. Can he hear me? Oh, he can't hear. I will he has one kid. But they are listening. They are with rapt attention. 
R.D., really, I tell you. <laughs> you're looking for new people to bring in for shows? Yeah. You, you, you got to get her I in have, here. I don't know how we're going to do this. Do you have, like, a, a word of advice for someone who, say, has... Um... Thank you. I appreciate Wait. the compliment. Hey, one second, Vasa. R.D. wants to ask you a question. Do you have a word of advice for someone who maybe has, let's say, a... What'd you say? Word of advice, what? For someone who, let's say, has, like, a junior or senior in high school that they're sending I'm off sorry, to school. I'm sorry, one more time? If you have a junior or senior in high school, like meaning someone who's older, 11th grade, 12th grade, any advice to send that child off to school daily or for the same for price or for the parents or maybe what that child needs daily? Any difference than what you said? I don't to think them? it makes a difference how old the children are. Um, I see my children, the younger ones, the middle ones, the older ones, they need the same love. The difference with the older ones is they don't show it in a way that will remind us, oh, my gosh, I didn't give him a kiss already in two months. So either they'll just, you know, stay away from you and they'll just go find it somewhere else, meaning they'll learn how to cope with whatever is bothering them in another way. Whereas if on a daily basis you listen, and with, with uh, even younger, I would say, very young children going all the way up through forever and ever and ever the biggest thing is to listen to listen and it doesn't have to be that you're sitting by the table eye to eye and say hi how's school today just be around and i'm i'm as guilty as the whole entire world the phone is the worst thing ever my kids sometimes tell me ma get off your phone just get off your phone and I have married kids that they call me just wrong. the time that my other children come home from school. And when my daughter, who then was uh, uh, 14, 15 years old, she told me, she goes, you know, every time I come home from school, you're talking to my sister. And I realized that she's 100% right. And I told my married daughter, no more calling me at 530 because that's when your sister comes home from school. So she was brave enough that she explicitly told me to get off the phone. But a lot of kids don't. And it's very annoying when the phone is such a major distraction. This time it's in a real terrible way. But, um, <laughs> but it's just the, the kids want us around. They want us around and they want our approval. Right. We are, as parents, the only ones that our children really, really trust and have who to look up to. And they're only really waiting for our approval. And it's, as long as they feel comfortable and safe and confident that we love them in any way and anything they do, they're not going to be scared to come up and tell us, oh, you know, I did this and this. I, you know, are you going to be mad or whatever? So, again, I think the new year is starting. And even with 11th graders and 12th graders and first and second also, we just have to show our kids that we love them and we support them and we're going to love them in any situation they're in. And then they won't be scared to come back to us and say, I need help. Well, that's wonderful advice, yeah. for sure. Now, you know, I'm going to tell you something. When I was much, much younger, a little girl, my parents were having a conversation. I did not really understand what they were talking about, but they thought that I was sleeping. And I really wasn't sleeping. And I heard something that they were discussing. Anyways, around 20 years after that conversation, something happened in my, in my circle of friends. And 
I said something to one of my friends, and she she turned white. She turned white. And right when I said it, I realized that was the conversation that my parents thought that I never heard. I have a very, very close relationship with my father. For one reason that I'm so close with him, he never yells at me. He never tells me, oh, you should do this, or oh, you shouldn't have done that. I called my father up. I said, Dad, I have to tell you what I did today. And I called him up, and I told him. He didn't say, oh, my gosh, I'm going to kill you. You really messed me up. He says, he, he told me what to do. He said, go back to this lady and explain yourself and apologize and ask her for her forgiveness. And hopefully, you know, they'll be able to put it behind them. But that is why I was able to call my father up and tell him what I did wrong because I knew he's not going to kill me. He's just going to help me fix this situation. And another thing he never says, I told you so. There were other times, I'm not such a good example that's with good this, thing. but yeah, there that's was another important. time I called him yeah. up for advice, and he gave me good advice, and I thought, you know, I'm like, well, 25 years old, I probably know better than him, and I didn't listen to him, and when I saw that I, by not listening to him, I made a mistake, I called him up, and I said, Dad, I didn't listen to you, get me out of it, and he got me out of it, but he never said, I told you so. So I think with parents, the biggest thing is, yeah, you're right, children are not going to listen. That's just how you all are. You know, we think we know everything better, and we have to learn from our mistakes. But as parents, we have to support and accept our kids. And then they will come back to us and say, Ma, I didn't listen to you. Get me out of here. Last, I think I see Ben is, yeah, I have, is chopping at the bit. He must I, ask you something. Because, well, I, I, this is something I – from. Uh, well, I shouldn't say a personal experience, but a conversation I had with a, a roommate that I had a few years ago. Now, growing up, his parents weren't very demonstrative. You know, they weren't hugging. They weren't, you know, the I love you type. And later on, when his mid to late 20s, he finally asked them why. You know, he's, I, all my friends, my parents, they hug them, they kiss them, they tell them they love them. And, and this, why didn't you do this? They didn't realize that that was something that was that important to the the development of their children. They didn't realize that by not doing those things, they had negatively affected their son. And right. they at at now he's in his early thirties. The last few years, his parents have been doing that and trying to 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 make up for it. And I, 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 I know them all. I, I can say that, that, that they're, they're putting a good effort, but that, but by not doing that, by not telling their children, you know, their children, I love you, not hugging them, you know, sending them off to school and in, in uh, you know, just a nice calm morning that had such an effect on him growing up that it led to, you know, needs therapy, you know, he's depressed you know, leading to maybe substance abuse, and you know, it, 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 it all it would have taken was that. And I, I'm just, I, I agree with you. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing to send your child off with. A wonderful thing to do for your children is let them know that you're there and that you love them. Right, right, right. Very, very important. Very important. And um, one other thing, I just want to add to those parents, to that parent that his that their son came and, you know, gave this little complaint to them. Mm-hmm. I, I respect them that they started to 
put effort into that issue. Very oh. nice of them. Oh, they felt awful. They, they, they just... I know, but most parents have to defend themselves, so they'll right. find, you know, they'll say, oh, what's the big deal? You're 25. What, I have to hug you at 25? You know, like, they're going to feel very defensive. Right. I'm 37 years old, and my mom hugs me. I hug my mom every time I see her, you know, and then I hug her yeah. before I leave. I tell her I love her. She does the same for me. I call my mom every single day, you know, it, when I grew when I was growing up. That same. was the, that was the way my mom was. She she, you know, she she hugged me all the time. She told me she loved me, and you know, I like to think that I turned out quite well. <laughs> quite well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very proud you of you. Thank you. I'm uh, sure you did, and it's very, very nice, and it's very, very important, yeah. I would say the same about my mom, except she can't wait to tell me. <laughs> I told you so. She waits on that. She waits on those moments. <laughs> okay, Marbasi, I appreciate your time. I think you don't even realize um, how amazing you sound and how many people are going to appreciate what you said. And certainly we're going to find more opportunities to talk to you. Um, I hear noise in the background. You must be with the kids with dogs or something, or who knows where you are right now. <laughs> Taking care of somebody. But in any case, yeah, okay, no problem. In any case, we're going to be in touch. Thank you so much. That was Marabasi. We're here on Let's Talk Torah. And again, if you want to hear more of Marabasi, you have questions or things you'd like to know, just send it to the email, let's talk Torah, no apostrophes at gmail.com. And Marabasi, we'll talk to you later. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. My pleasure. Okay, well. She's you wonderful. Yeah, your wife is, is wonderful. Yeah, I forgot to tell you. That's my wife, by the way. So yeah. my kids are quite lucky. That yeah. I must tell you. Yes. Yeah. Because the amount of things I get wrong when she says, I told you, just distract them. Why are you, why are you fighting with them? Why? why? Someone has to tell them what's right or wrong. She says, not now. I just want to give her a hug. <laughs> you want to give her a hug? <laughs> she sounds absolutely amazing. delightful. Yes. An amazing, amazing person. So with that, it's almost hard to get back to our discussion. So we're talking about this wayward child. Yes. So the wayward child has my wife for a mother. Right? That child will figure it out. Right. Or even the advice that she gives. So one question we dealt with is, is why the Torah has to tell me. Because the Torah has to tell me, be responsible for your children. And hopefully we had some good ideas here about being responsible for your children. We did have another question to get us back on track. And that was a very strange punishment. Again, it never happened. Right. But if it were to happen, it would seem a very... Uh, strong message punishment. Why such a punishment? So this is a very unusual story. Um, so I'll give you a uh, what we call a parable. We've all read stories. There have been some recent stories about stalkers and, and people stalking. And imagine a stalker comes in front of a judge. And the judge can see the future. And the judge sees. He can just read the guy's mind. He says, I know this stalker is going to commit some terrible crime against the person he or she is stalking. So if the judge were to let him just go free because we don't have uh, you know, the evidence or the manpower, and then something happens, who's responsible? I mean, the judge had the ability to put an end to it, to put a stop to it, and instead he just let it go. I mean, that would be ridiculous. 
if the judge knows the crime that's going to be committed, he would do something, get guards, tell the person to run away, do something. So the Torah is telling us this unusual, again, I told you, it's a very unusual story, but if it were possible that a child in this three-month window steal from his parents, be a glutton, be warned, be whipped, not listen, and continue to do this, the Torah, which is from God, God is vine, God can see the future. God is saying, the guy is going to become a highway robber. He's going to be a murderer. He's going to be a gangster. So take care of it now. We're just going to have to kill him now because this unusual, special case, we're going to have to protect people. This is how we protect people. So that's why the Torah gives this very strange, unusual punishment to such a child. Okay. End of our first Topic, which, well, took us way through the show here. I don't want to tell you how many pages I have left. We may be here for a while. But I did tell Ben earlier that famous phrase, I mean, kids say it all the time, right? They find something on the playground. Oh, find his keepers, lose his weepers. And the kid says, no, it's my birds. How do you know? I found it here. You put it down. You didn't want it. You threw it out. All the excuses. So what is the Torah's view on finders, keepers, this is not my fake news yet. I have something interesting for that one. What is the Torah's view on finders, keepers, uh, losers, weepers? And it's a very clear verse. If you find something, you must return it to the owner. Now, there's rules and regulations. Did you find it in a private area where it looks like someone put it down? Mm-hmm. Did you find it uh, by a, a truck loading station where where there's piles of trucks in and out and we can't tell who it came from. Can I give you an example? Sure. Okay. So, someone loses their bike. <laughs> oh, this is this is great. This is, this is, yeah. so, this this is, is from real, another show. This is from another show. Okay, cool. Caller called in. Someone loses their bike. They get it stolen. They call the police. Police call them back, say, yes, we found the bike. It's the same model bike, blah, blah, blah. They go to the police station, see the bike there, the mother knows it's not the bike, but it's the same exact model bike. The question was, does she take the bike or not? I mean, I would hope she doesn't. R- that's what exactly. I, you know, I would hope you. she doesn't Thank because yes. it, it's not it's not like there's a big pool and I have to get my stuff back. So somebody stole 50 bucks from me, so I'm going to walk to the grocery store and pull 50 bucks out of cash register cuz money, it's money. What's the difference? I lost, now I got it back. Right. Why do I have to lose it? Somebody else lose. You know, interesting at Oak Park what they like to do for the kids. Um, they actually like to put serial numbers on the bikes. They either have stickers or yes. engraving because they have piles of bikes there yep. that they pick up that were lost or stolen. And they want you to have some form of ID on the bike. And they, they generally, um, when they have their safety fairs in Oak Park, right. the kids bring their bikes or, or they get helmets and stuff. They're very good about it. They're very nice. They're very good. But the idea is if I lost something right. and you found it, so the Torah says, return it to me. Now, interesting, it, it, it goes pretty far, this rule. In other words, if I'm walking down the street, we'll talk in, in, in their time. You can talk even nowadays. I'm walking down the street. There's a bicycle there on the street. If I pick up this bicycle, I'm going to have to put it somewhere. I'm going to have to schlep it. I'm going to have to make phone calls. I'm going to have to maybe hang up signs. Like, this is going to be a real hassle. So the Torah says, you got to do the hassle. In other words, you don't get to, it's 
like other things we talk about, it's an attitude. God says your attitude should be to help people. So somebody lost something. So if you found it, even if it's going to cost you a little bit, again, if it's going to cost you a day of work and the bicycle's not worth that much money, then the Talmud discusses what you're supposed to do. But uh, in, the, in the Jewish circulars and like these local little papers, it's amazing that there's, there'll be a section. Bracelet left in so-and-so's house um, from this party. Coat left um, on this date because there was a rainstorm and uh, the storm ended. Or, or I found this in the street in front of this building. Now, interesting... Really, there has to be proof. So, for example, money. If you find That's money the, on the street, you can't prove who money belongs to. I was going to ask that question. Right. You can't really prove it. Some people will say if you know the amount of money, then you could do it. But, interesting enough, there's a concept in, uh, um, in Jewish law. It's called above and beyond. In other words, it's the letter of the law. That you find money, you can't prove to me it's your money. I was telling the kids in my class, I can write my name on it. I said, yeah, you write your name on the dollar, and then you spend it in the store. So money has no, right. no sign. But uh, two interesting stories with money. There was a great rabbi um, who lived, for the most part, in the 1900s. He passed away in 1986. He had a school in Manhattan, the Lower East Side. Okay. And there were two fifth graders. Fifth grade happens to be the age where children learn the tractate, the Talmud that discusses lost objects. <laughs> and aside on the aside story, um, some of the teachers went to this Rabbi Feinstein and said, why are we teaching them about lost objects? Aren't there better topics that are more relevant? He said, there is nothing more relevant than telling a child over and over, if it doesn't belong to you, give it back. Nothing more relevant. Anyways, in the back of a classroom, a child finds a dollar and says, oh, I found a dollar. And another child yells out and says, oh, I lost a dollar. So the first child says, well, there's no sign. We don't know if you really lost it. I could really keep it. So the teacher sees a teaching moment. So he sends both of them to this big rabbi. So they go in front of the rabbi and he says, yes, why are you here? And a boy says, oh, I found a dollar in the back of the classroom, and we learned in the Talmud that there's no sign, so I'm really allowed to keep it. And the rabbi says to the other boy, and what do you have to say? And he says, I mean, I, we did learn that, but the money was in my pocket. It fell out. I lost it. So the rabbi pulls a dollar out of his pocket and gives it to the child who lost the dollar. Okay, now the one who found it's all embarrassed. He says, no, no, I'll, I'll give him the dollar. It's, it's no problem. So the rabbi says, letter of the law, you could keep it. But we try to be better, to do more than the letter of the law. It didn't cost you anything. He says he lost it. We try to be very trusting. Obviously, we're dealing with people that are never honest. It's a whole different story. But in school, it happens all the time. A boy will come by. I found this bag of uh, pretzels. Anybody lose this bag of pretzels? Anybody lose a jacket? We're forever... We teach the children to... So kind of the honor code. Yeah. 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 Again, a lot of things letter the law, they could keep it, but that's not what we want to teach them. Right. So along those lines, there's a famous story back in Europe where there was a, uh, a wealthy man, didn't do too many good things in his life, but he was famous for a few famous stories that happened with him. 
And one of them was, uh, he's probably walking in the marketplace, and uh, all of a sudden there's a commotion, and the man said, I had 10,000 ruble in my pocket, and, and, I, and I don't know what happened, somebody stole it, and it was my daughter's wedding money, and what am I going to do? And he was besides himself, and uh, this wealthy man says, oh, um, what kind of denominations was it? Well, 20s and 50s and 100s and this. Oh, you know, stop, stop by my office later. And um, I may have found it. I just can't deal with it now. Just come to my office later. Okay, a few hours later, the, the man who lost the money shows up at the wealthy man's office. And he says, uh, he says yeah, it looks like I found the wallet that you described. And here's the wallet and here's the money. And uh, I'm so happy I was there to find it. And the, the man who lost the money was so appreciative. So he goes home. The man walks into his house. And his wife says to the man who lost the money, you know, you're such a klutz. Didn't you tell me you had to take the wedding money and pay some people? Yeah, yeah, I lost the money. You didn't lose the money. The wallet is sitting right here on the counter. He says, sitting on the counter? Uh, somebody said he found the money. I, I, I went crazy. I said I lost the money. And this wealthy guy said he found it. And he gave me all, all this money. Uh-oh. So he quickly runs back to the wealthy man, and he says, you know, it's so nice of you. It was charity. I appreciate it. I'm the fool. I wasn't careful with my money. I just, I wasn't being careful. It was on my dining room table, um, so please take your money back. So the wealthy man says, I don't know what you're talking about. You came to my office. You said you lost money. I said I found it. I gave it to you. It's not my money. So the man who lost the money said, this is ridiculous. So they went to the rabbi. So there's different versions in the story. If the rabbi said, you have to take the money back, or if the rabbi let him give it to Miss Charity. But again, that concept, there's an idea of when we lose something, we return it. And then there's really the next step to go above and beyond the letter of the law. Of course you could keep it. And a lot of times, just imagine, you know, the Torah gives examples. You see your enemy's ox wandering off. So um, you have to return it to him. So they ask, why? Who cares if it's the enemy's ox? So Nachmanides um, says, very interesting. Nachmanides says, if you want to know how to get your enemy to be your friend, if he loses something, return it to him. Because you spend time to return something, most people say, oh, I hope it gets ruined. I hope the house burns down. I hope who knows what. We, we return things that don't belong to us. It creates a, a kinship. It's friendship. It's what the Torah wants, by the way. But again, there's the letter of the law we certainly return, and then there's above and beyond the letter of the law, which is even things that I don't must return, but if it looks like the person is telling the truth, we definitely to return it. And uh, as you may know, the high holidays are almost upon us. The Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, those two holiest days in the Jewish calendar where God judges. I speak uh, many times in my synagogue around the high holidays, and I, I, I very much like to give over this message. And the message is God is going to treat you the same way you treat everybody else. If you are a person that you're to the letter of the law, God says, no problem. Letter of the law, you did this wrong, you did this wrong, you made this mistake, you did this wrong. No excuses, letter of the law. But a person who goes above and beyond and returns stuff as an example that he doesn't have to, 
So God says, yeah, you, you made a mistake here, and it has to be dealt with, but look, you were able to go above and beyond. God says, I'll also treat you in that way differently. So all really important, good lessons when it comes. What if you like consciously know you're like, all right, I'm going to make a bad decision, but I'm going to go above and beyond out of my way to compensate for that bad decision. Where, a, is that a, a different story? That's a different story. And <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work. Doesn't In other work. words, on God's scale. I'm just making a note for myself. Yeah, you got to keep this one in mind. Actually, I was going to talk about it more next week. Um, and I will. But in God's scale, it's, it's not just an, an automatic scale. If a person did something wrong, he has to, there's payment. Right. There's a discipline. There's a punishment. If a person does something right, he has to be rewarded. So you could have the most evil person, but if he did something that he has to be rewarded for, he must be rewarded. Actually, um, you remind me of a piece in the Talmud. There were two people that were going, their, their coffins were on the way to the cemetery. So there was a big rabbi, and there were thousands of people accompanying his coffin. And then there was a just rotten, wicked fellow, and just the family was there. They meet at a crossroads, the two coffins, on the way to the... Uh, and the way, in those days, they walked. Obviously, they didn't have any, um, any uh, transportation like we have. Right. And all of a sudden, somebody yelled out, I don't know, robbers, armies, and everybody ran. The only one who stuck around was the student of the rabbi. A few hours later, the, the, the problems are gone. Everybody comes back, and they confuse the coffins. The student is begging and pleading with everybody that you, the big crowd is honoring the wicked fellow, and this, the couple family members are going with a rabbi, like, what gives? Nobody listened. A few weeks later, his rabbi came to him in a dream because the, the, the student was distraught. And he says to his rabbi, he says, I don't understand. I knew your coffin. Why did you lost the honor and he got the honor? How could that be? And we're going to discuss another day this right. idea of somebody after he's died, that there's still honor and the soul. All this we'll talk about that's just not on the topic. Mm-hmm. But it's to answer your question. And the rabbi said, look, that wicked fellow had done a couple good deeds. He has to be paid back. He must be paid back. He deserves to be paid back. God paid him back. I also, I had done some things that weren't so kosher. I had done some things that had to be punished. That was my punishment. So I have to be rewarded for everything I do good. I have to be punished for everything I do bad. But again, over the scope of things, if I'm the type of person... Right, but if, if, I'm, if my personality, the way I act is to go above and beyond, so when God's looking at the things that I do, not so, uh, not so kosher, mm-hmm. uh, so God will, again, he's not looking away, right. but he's going to deal with above and beyond. The consequence matches the action. Definitely, so. definitely, which we'll talk about many times the weeks go on. <laughs> so all these pages, because we have the honor of that Morabasi, so we're not touching all these pages. What about the fake news? Oh, fake news. Fake. I, I, mm-hmm. the fake news. This is not so much fake news. This is really just a fake way of talking. And so I'm going to give you a little overview. Um, I don't know if you guys uh, suffered a couple of years ago. We had those floods here in Detroit. I did. You suffer a little bit, Ben? I, I was in the process of moving downtown, and uh, that flood uh, along 75, I saw it. I, I, oh. was, I, I wasn't affected by it, but it, like, is, is the pro- uh, in that moving process, I, uh, 
I had to take an alternate route. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Yeah. I, I suffered. Did you? And as my you? basement got two feet of water, oh. if I tell you a full pickup truck of books, they were mm-hmm. completely ruined. Oh, it was like had my Full pickup truck. Um, we had just repaired that morning the washing machine. So I hadn't even taken the drums because there were new drums. Yeah. They were still in the basement. They were floating when I came downstairs. Oh. Furnaces, mattresses, clothes, I mean, walls, doors. I mean, it was a complete ripout. It was, it was bad. Yeah. So when we talk about the people down in Houston, I, I really do feel for them because oh, I yeah. met my wife just watching it and the work and you pile your garbage outside and the trucks come and they don't want to take it and, and they give you a hard time and there's all kinds of organizations that help you right. clean up. So it, it's, 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 it's hard. There's nothing to talk about it's hard. What troubled me, what bothered me, is when you listen to the newscasters who need to say something intelligent. So when they want to describe, I don't know if you heard these words, you didn't even notice it. When they described the flooding in Houston, they called it flooding of biblical proportion. Did you hear those words? I did hear those words. Okay. I it's did exaggeration. hear Flooding, <laughs> and that's yeah. more than exaggeration. Now, if they're just exaggerating, yeah. okay, I think they were trying to make a point. Like I think this I... Was, even heard apocalyptic flooding. So that wouldn't bother me as much, actually. Really? Right. Okay. Even though it's also the wrong word, but the reason it bothers me is because they're obviously referring to the famous flood of Noah. Right. Right. Okay. By the flood of Noah, okay, the whole world was flooded, except for Noah and his ark, everybody died. So it's not that, again, it's terrible. Don't get me wrong. You shouldn't think I'm callous about it all. I lived through this. I know it just takes months and months, and you do get insurance, and you don't get insurance, you get a little insurance, and some friends have insurance, and a lot of stuff could not be replaced yep. because there's only so much money, and you rely on organizations to help you. It's rough, and it, it will take them a long time in their roads. I, I, I do feel for them. But when a newscaster wants to say it's just like the flood of Noah, which wiped out the entire population. Now, again, one person dying is terrible, and I think the number is 44. It's a tragedy. Yeah. Tragedy for the families, tragedy for anyone. And again, I, I do feel for them. But it's not like the flood that happened by Noah, which wiped out everything in the world, animals, people, plants, certainly houses, everything. So when the newscasters go ahead and say a biblical proportions, that one a little bit throws me for a loop. So my fake news is just, again, if you're going to use words from the Torah, from the Bible, at least. Semantics is everything. Semantics is everything. It, is. it truly is. And we didn't even have a chance. If I asked you guys if we learned anything today, I imagine we, we learned some stuff. Drew's already smiling. Ben, you learned anything today? Always. What did you learn today? Well... Your wife made some amazing points on on, uh, on raising children, showing love. It's something that I that, I've or, that I already knew, but it was just it's nice to hear that re, that reaffirmed. You know, just yeah, I agree. Okay, yeah. ID anything? Uh, yeah, I learned uh, definitely about returning lost objects. Yeah, it's another good one. Yeah. Okay, good the one. Proper thing to do in that regard. Drew, you learned anything? Oh, Drew, we don't hear you. Go ahead. Okay, Go ahead. try again. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, I just wanted to touch on the thing with, you know, parents loving their children. I was fortunate enough to be able to be raised in that kind of environment. So the way your wife touched on that really, you know, meant a lot to me as well. And I think it should be a voice of um, encouragement that should go forward. And I think parents 
hopefully that are hearing this will take that to heart and actually work to change their ways because it's very important. Drew, you made it worth everything. Well said. Thank you again to our wonderful sponsors and listeners. I couldn't do without you. Thank you to my wonderful production team, Ben, R.D., uh, Drew, um, Leonard. Got it right this time. Very good. I hope I've left you with some food for thought. Until next week, I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on New Radio Media. And until next week, don't forget to think about it.